Well, welcome back to Social World Podcast. Thoughts on the social world is what you Google. Now, I've got a wonderful guest today, somebody who I actually recorded a podcast with back 10 years ago, almost at the time when she first became the chief social worker for England uh, for adults. So, Lynn Romeo, welcome to the programme. Thank you, David, for having me again after all this time. So many things I'd like to catch up with you. And, and over these 10 years, you must have seen an absolute sort of landscape of issues and problems and things and complexities. But obviously, I hope we can talk a bit about successes as well. So, yes, you know, yes, yes. I, I believe you're stopping in, in a few months or something like that and then moving on to the next thing, whatever that turns out to be. That's correct. Yes. Wow. Now, look, we, when we talked about 10 years, when we talked about 10 years ago, doesn't that sound crazy? Never mind. Anyway, when we did, one of the things we did talk about that was absolutely, you were absolutely passionate about, as am I, which is vulnerable adults in all shapes and sizes. Um, and the way that, uh, we protect them in society and the way that they're absolutely challenged, uh, threat, uh, you know, and, and picked upon, threatened and sometimes discriminated against hugely. Have you seen, I mean, it's a, it's a general question, but have you, have you seen improvement in the way we treat the vulnerable? I, I, I'm not asking you from children, from adult, obviously, point of view. Yes, I think so. I think, um, you know, obviously I started this post in 2013 and was working on the CARE Act. Um, as soon as I got to the department, we then, worked in very close collaboration, actually, with the sector, with people with lived experience, with carers, with care workers. And that piece of legislation was a true co-produced piece of legislation, actually, and in particular, the statutory guidance that went with it. And there's a whole uh, chapter devoted to uh, safeguarding um, and ensuring we respond appropriately to people who um, appear to have care and support needs and who are at risk of harm or abuse or neglect uh, or are experiencing it. So a lot of work's gone into really ramping up our professional practice in relation to being aware of, identifying and then working with uh, people and their families and carers and communities Mm -hmm. to ensure they are protected. So I think we've made great strides on that front because I think Adults were probably not at the forefront of um, safety and and concern around uh, different areas of harm or risk or exploitation. That is much more at the forefront. Practice still has a long way to go, of course, but I think we've made great strides. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't know if you would agree, but you probably might not because you're far more experienced in terms of working with adults than I am. But the two main areas of potential abuse, if you like, that I, I, I would imagine are high up the list are domestic abuse uh, and fraud. Um, yes, that's true. I mean, obviously, within somebody's home setting, and we've just mm-hmm. con- completed a safe at home, um, safe care at home review, which has looked into what are the indications of. Uh, situations where an intimate partner or somebody coming in to care for somebody in their own home where there are issues of abuse or neglect. Um, Mm. So that is a key concern and that probably is, um, you know, the most significant area. 
Uh, and obviously financial abuse and financial scamming has been around a long time. And there's now a lot of work that's been done to try and protect people, particularly older people who are often more vulnerable to this sort of thing. Uh, so there's a lot of support and guidance and checklists and the police a lot more um, attuned to that as are uh, post offices and banks and so on. So work does go on in that area. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, I think there are emerging areas which maybe were more uh, in plain sight, but not uh, gaining our attention. So uh, more people who are uh, through probably earlier life experiences, young people who uh, people who may have been in care or had trauma as children, who maybe end up in mental health services yeah, or yeah, with yeah. addictions, who often then maybe end up as homeless and rough sleeping on the streets, where sometimes I think we've just not picked up on actually their vulnerabilities in terms of their care and support needs, issues around uh, potentially acquired brain injury or addictions or mental health issues, which do, in fact, uh, make them eligible for help from uh, social workers. So I think we're much more on the front foot. And we've had more recent issues around modern slavery, mm-hmm. uh, people, people being bought usually from abroad, but also in within uh, England uh, mm-hmm. who are exploited and are vulnerable and uh, essentially become modern slaves. So uh, that's another big area as well. And all the county line stuff around drugs and so on. And more interest now, and uh, my colleague Des Holmes from Research and Practice has done a lot of work on this, and we've oh, issued yeah. some guidance around transitional safeguarding, actually, where young people who are moving into adulthood, uh, who remain, if you like, uh, vulnerable in terms of some of the safeguarding areas of concern, and trying to make sure we pick that up well and work with them into mm-hmm. their adulthood as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's quite a menu that you've got there, and I presume all the time it's being improved as well. I mean, are there areas that you thought you're a bit sorry they've gone a bit slower than you hoped? Yes, I think we haven't done as well as we should have done on young people moving into adulthood who do have clear uh, care and support needs. So young people with physical disabilities, especially young people with learning disabilities and or autism and or mental health issues. I think the pathway through children's services into adult uh, social care and support isn't as smooth and as as well organised as it should be, but it's an area that's still uh, getting a lot of tension across the country, but we just just got a lot of work to do to get that really Mm. lined up in the way it should be, because partly it's because of the way we organise ourselves, also because of resources and access to resources and second and thirdly i think the skills we need in working with people through the life course which require us to work in different ways as we move along the the life Mm -hmm. course with people Mm. well look i want to i asked you before when we first talked as i said all these years ago now there's two two areas you just mentioned there i'd love to just develop a little further one was this business about um the modern day slavery, for example, because I've done a lot of work recently with people around the world doing with them um, things like uh, trafficking, modern day slavery as well. And obviously things like um, supply chain audits and so forth for some of our big companies and so forth and 
within this country as well, you know, where children or young adults might well indeed be exploited. And I just wondered if you feel that these new challenges, these new safeguarding headings, if you like, are actually being factored in enough, given the state, uh, uh, how significant they're becoming? Yes, I think we're sort of in the foothills of, of responding appropriately, and that's partly due to all the other pressures and needs and demands, particularly in local authority social care departments. Um, so I do, I don't think they're getting the priority they should be, but we are doing a lot more work to promote and raise awareness of these areas. And certainly I think, um, better, closer working relationships with the police, um, and with local communities, uh, are helping to highlight where this might be an issue. I mean, kind of ironically, we've had more recent issues in relation to this with uh, workers coming in from overseas to work in care, uh, where some of them, I think, have been exploited in a way to come here. So that's an area where CQC are getting involved and we're looking to see how we can regulate that more, more closely. Um, but obviously most of the examples are in service industries or agricultural work and so on. So I think more to do and it, and it varies depending on where in the country people are working with communities. Um, but I think much more to do. And, of course, you know, we have to look to the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice to also work with us on these areas. Did you, um, did you feel quite kind of um, that it was satisfied that you managed to get on with most sort of departments and, and actually weren't too frustrated sometimes by the kind of machinery of government? It's well, it's quite challenging. You know, the civil service is very big and there are a lot of people working in it in different departments and there'll be different priorities in each department. But I am, I am very impressed with the calibre of people who do work as civil servants, trying very hard to develop policies to improve the lives of our citizens. Uh, but they are obviously here to serve the government of the day and the ministers and so there'll be different sometimes conflicting priorities and of course it is you know as with most organizations there are lots of bureaucratic processes to go through so nothing gets done quickly unless it's a real crisis and of course we had the whole pandemic during the time mm -hmm. yeah. um, but on the whole people are really wanting to work together and work with the sector uh, to get it right um you do have to be patient, though it's true, uh, and you do, and no, you don't. Really? Have, no. I can't <laughs> believe have, that. No. And one, and you know, you don't have direct control over things in the way that I did when I was in my previous job, where you know you were the director, so you would, mm. you know, you would be able to make things happen a lot more directly. Whereas this is not this through this in this post, it's through influence, winning the argument, winning hearts and minds to, you know, start to get things moving in a particular direction. People do have uh, probably a, a mixed imagination as to what your job actually is or what it can do. Um, I mean, I suspect some people will think, you you know, oh, chief social worker, right, you've got a magic lightning rod or something. You, you can just sort of deal with things. But it's nothing like that, really, is it? It's all a lot of kind of diplomacy and and kind of hard graft, I suspect. 
Yes, that's a good description. It's it's you are here, you're in the depart in central government as a professional expert advisor to advise, guide, try and influence ministers, uh, officials uh, in relation to social work, social policy, social care matters, um, which includes you know workforce issues, practice issues, and so on. So. Um, you can't just say, well, just do it like this, because obviously, you know, people can take or leave your advice. So you've got to be able to be persuasive, present a good case, you know, have the facts, have the evidence, mm. um, win over hearts and minds, actually. But also within the kind of constraints of what's affordable, what resources can be put towards something and so on. But I've been very lucky because one of the key networks I've worked with are the principal social workers, one of whom is based in each local authority and increasingly so in different mental health trusts and in different um, uh, voluntary sector providers uh, and so on. And, and they have become a real leadership group. And through them and with them, we've been able to change a lot of things in terms of practice cultures, ways of working together, supporting social workers to take more practice leadership roles at whatever level they might be in an organization and to have a passion and a, and a kind of renewed focus on a, a profession that's based on, you know, the principles of human rights, social justice, mm. and really getting alongside people and, you know, real devotion and commitment to truly co-producing and listening to and understanding what matters to people. So that has been a kind of lever, if you like, or a, a kind of change that I didn't imagine would have the results it has. So now, uh, mm. interestingly, I was just looking at the clinical clinical guidance for treatment of for alcohol treatment services, and it, you might as well have written a, pa- a chapter about social work approaches to how to support people with because it's all about strength based practice, right. co producing, okay. working alongside people, listening to understand, and so on. So, well, well. I think sometimes we underestimate our impact because we're, we're quietly getting on with things and working alongside people and, and helping them to see a different way of doing things. I think I've got to talk to you about um, it, within your remit, as I understood it, apart from giving advice to ministers, it, you were like uh, specifically to support and challenge the profession and challenge weak practice. Now, um have you had enough time to focus on that? Uh, yeah, I pretty much prioritised a lot of that. I've, I've visited every single local authority in the country over the last 10 years. So I've met with every social work team in every local authority, uh, including the Isles of Scilly, which was one of my favourite visits, I have to say. Um, and that was pretty much about trying to shift practice away from a very process, procedurally different way of working with people uh, to really get back to relational practice, to get back to a kind of strengths-based way of listening and understanding what matters to people, what's happened, what what are the things that can make a real difference, what what really is what it is that how mm. do they really want to live their lives, and what does a good day look like for them, and how you um, garner the resources around them, both from their family, their friends, from their communities, and so on. And I, I really believe we have made significant inroads on that and changed organisational cultures to have mm. that practice-led approach and the values of social work underpinning 
uh, what goes on, particularly in local authority adult social care departments. This is all and true, I'm, all true what you say. Sorry, but can I just divert you slightly? I, I won't lose what you said, but okay. think about what you said before about the image of, 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 of social work in the media and the Im- image of, if you like, the care sector generally in the media and the fact of all, all the business that's going that goes on about people having recruitment problems, retention problems, pay problems, uh, training problems, um, and and it becoming bed blocking and goodness knows what else. That seems awfully recurring. Is, it, is, is that is that this is that how you feel about it? Yes, I agree with you. It's 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 still a really challenging context, isn't it? And I think it is. Um, a real shame because I think we did do some really good work around social work and representation in the media and actually to give credit to my colleague Isabel who's the chief social worker for children and families I think actually the the media stories have changed significantly since the days of um, okay uh, yeah I think if you do an analysis the kind of some of the headlines that we had about uh baby pee and all of the kind of stuff that came out of that and the terrible kind of castigation of social workers. If we look back since then, I think it's been significantly reduced. I think what we don't get, though, is the promotion of the amazing work that social workers do. But then I guess that's not good. You know, good news stories are not, unless there's a kind of human interest. You know you're talking to somebody who's an absolute passionate advocate of that happening so please don't hold back <laughs> so i i always get everywhere i go i get the question of what can we do about you know changing media representation of social work and what we do and it's very difficult because it's it's very private work isn't it when we're working in very intimate situations with people in their front rooms and it's not the sort of thing you can have on you know exciting um series where, where it tends to be the police series or mm. you know a and e series and stuff like that it's social work's not like that so very quietly and invisibly often we're making a real difference to people's lives in a way that doesn't it's not a good story so how do you capture those sorts of things and in the end i think it really does have to and you can't do a national thing about it it has to be locally how do you how do you build that story in your communities well, how do people yeah. who've who've experienced a change in their lives due to the support of social workers? How do they tell the story? Because it's from their storytelling, their narrative. I couldn't agree with you more. There, there's a thousand good things that happen by social workers to the citizens of this country every day, but you know it doesn't seem to to get the news. But what I do also agree with you about is I think that local authorities often confuse confidentiality with secrecy. And I I think that there could be plenty of opportunities for people, and even frontline social workers, if they choose, you know, to, 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 to try, to talk to people about good news stories, about success. And though, so tomorrow, when there's a really difficult new case and a social worker sent out to try and affect, you know, getting in to talk to the family or whoever it is, if there was already an image in the community, whether it's local radio, whether it's the free newspapers, goodness knows what else, a better one about social work, 
that little bit of extra trust might exist because there'd be a little bit more balance maybe within the information sort of hemisphere, you know, the whole thing. So I just think we should be, 99% of the community get their information in some form of media, broadcast, written, social, whatever. And so we've got to be in that shop window if we want to tell people. Sorry, that was a little bit of a rant on my part there. Yeah, No, no, I totally agree with you. And I've certainly promote that with all the social workers I meet. And some of them do have now their own YouTube channels, like um, School of Shabs. She's done some amazing work. And more and more of them are writing. We've had, you know, the fantastic mm. um, book that Rob Mitchell and his colleagues have produced. So I think there's a lot more going on than used to go on. Okay. Let, let me just wrap up because we've got a few minutes, if that's okay. Um, it's not okay, but I'm afraid it is for the thing. Um. What the main thing I'm wondering about is what's the biggest kind of, I don't know, um, if there's a regret maybe that you didn't have enough time to do or something, like I said, that went too slowly for you, some major policy issue rather than just some personal thing. I think probably the main thing that I I regret is that we we never – I was never able to get a focus, a strong enough lever on how we support and recruit um, more people to come into social work through the mainstream routes. Mm. Uh, We tended to to get into kind of quite specialised postgraduate routes as a way of trying to attract people in. And the support that um, people need just to do the normal kind of BA, MA routes um, has never kind of we've never been able to get a step up on that. It's tended to stay for pretty much as it was, and I think that's that's been my biggest regret actually. Okay, right. Now on the other side though, what? How about instead of actually saying well, well, successes by all means, say any that you, that's particularly stick out. I'm sure there's been quite a lot. Any particularly stick out, and finally maybe a message to people who might just be considering social work in the future? Yeah, okay. Well, I think the successes have been we've got these chief social workers now in central government and there is a voice for social work. Uh, Secondly, we got the principal social worker role onto a statutory footing through the statutory guidance in the Care Act, which has repositioned social work in adult social care in a way that was really lacking for many, many years through the generic teams days, really most social workers spent their time working with children and families and maybe some uh, a small group of complex adults with more complex needs. There's been a major shift towards social work uh, access being provided to most adults with care and support needs. So that's quite significant, I think. Uh, thirdly, I think... The investment we've made with the principal social workers has given us a really good pipeline to to, man, uh, to leadership and management by the social work profession in adult social care, uh, which was, I think, uh, not as prominent as it should have been, but is becoming more prominent. And I think, we've, as I mentioned earlier, I think we've made some real strides in terms of improving okay. safeguarding. Um, the other a, thing I just a message for our prospective social workers in the future. Uh, the message I think is, if you really are 
I think the thing about social work is it is a job, it's a vocation. And if you want a, a vocation or a career that's going to give you the opportunity to make a difference every day to the lives of people, then this is the most rewarding and satisfying work you can do. It's challenging. It can be really difficult. Uh, but to experience that great privilege of making a difference each day uh, to the lives of people you work with and alongside is there's it's a price it, you know money can't compete with that yeah. a sense of achievement well look lynn romeo chief social worker <laughs> still for a few months and yes. um a great friend i think to social work and uh, i think that the profession well, maybe the profession will still be in contact with you, but the, probably the kind of the role will miss you, I expect. So um, I wish you the very good best in the future, uh, whatever you choose to do. Um, and thanks very much for talking today to, to me. I mean, perhaps I could come back to you in the future and see what happened, because I rather suspect we're not going to see the last of you. <laughs> You're very welcome to that. And thank you very much for inviting me to come and speak.